Well, last week we talked about uh, Ezra's arrival into the city of Jerusalem. And if you remember last week, I told you I would hope that the Lord would come back before today. He didn't. So I guess we'll have to deal with chapter 10 because it's not an easy chapter. So I wrestle with it this week and struggle with it. But I think it's pretty clear what he deals with here. And I think there's a, a really good path forward that he brings forward. But he talked to them and said, here's the problem y'all have got. You're tolerating sin in your midst. Well, that's a word for us, isn't it? To not tolerate the things that God doesn't tolerate. But today we come to chapter 10 and what we find is that God gives them, uh, through Ezra, a model and a pathway forward uh, that, I'll be honest with you, when I began studying at the end of last Sunday afternoon, I, I didn't expect this outcome. It's not where I thought it would end. Uh, and so, here we go. So look at verse 1. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. What we see to begin with is that Ezra comes to the temple, to the building that they had rebuilt some years before he came back, and he models for them contrition. I think there's nothing more attractive in people, especially in leaders, than contrition. When they come and say, here's what we need to do. Here's what I need to do. He wants to model. She wants to model for the people what's right. And so we come to the climax of the story of Ezra with the realization these people have chosen a pathway of sin. They've chosen to tolerate wickedness in it. And it was evidenced by the choices they made in their marriages, if you remember the story. They, they, they decided because there weren't enough Jewish women to go around, they would just marry the women who were in the land and tolerate that what God had said should not happen would happen. And instead of remaining faithful, they've compromised. And it resulted in them doing what they should never have done. It's amazing how when we begin to tolerate sin, we begin to tolerate the next sin, don't we? and the next sin, and the next sin. He says, no, we shouldn't do that. But it was a serious problem. And so it broke the heart of God that they had been doing that. It broke Ezra's heart as the one who was leading the group back. And he says, we've got to be in tune with God. And so what he does is fascinating to me. He goes to the temple itself on the temple mount there where the Dome of the Rock sits today in that in that that sacred land ground that, that God had ordained to be a place to meet his people and he lays himself, I think, prostrate on the floor, prostrate, prostate's a different word, prostrate in front of the Lord and says, we have been wrong. I have been wrong. And he prays. And did you notice what happened? The people of God began to gather around to him and began to come into that situation and began to do the same thing and to pray and, and confess. And they said, we can't tolerate this. We have a mess. But Ezra finds himself not alone. And God is beginning to move. But as Ezra has done that, he waits. I don't know about you, but I found it very helpful if, we, if I learn to wait on the Lord. Often I find myself trying to run ahead of God like I know better than God, but I don't. But what he does here is interesting. He waits and he listens for covenant. Uh, you're probably thinking, what do you mean covenant? Listen to what happens. Uh, and Shechaniah, Shek- the son of Jehiel, the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, and he says this, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. 
Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God and follow with me because it gets really tough here to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, Ezra, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath of what had been said, and they took an oath. So here we we, we, we see Ezra and others gathered at the temple gate, at the entryway, and they're praying and crying out to God, saying, God, we have broken your heart. Your heart is broken, so our heart is broken. You've seen our sin, and you've seen the ugliness of us, and we are beginning to see what we've done. And at this point, a guy named Shepherd, Shechaniah, and you're going, I've never heard of Shechaniah. Yeah, don't worry, most of us haven't either. He seems to be a rather obscure character, except he is the son of Jehiel, the sons of Elam. Now, what does that mean? That means he was part of a large family. If you go back to chapter 1, you see the sons of, of, um, of Elam had come in the initial exodus or returning to the land. There was another group of them came when Ezra led a group to the land. And so there's a lot of those folks in the land. And he steps up and he says, we've got a problem. Here's a suggestion. We have to do something that is not easy. We've got to remove the sin from among us. Now, if you're like me and you just read that passage and you think to yourself, what are they suggesting they do to these wives? You're right where I am. The struggle I had as I was looking at this passage. Because you think, first blush, the answer is what? Get rid of them. But, but that sounds harsh, doesn't it? That sounds unloving, doesn't it? Am I the only one that reads it that way at first blush going, oh my goodness, are they really going to do this? They can't do this, can they? Wait, hang in there. I want you to see what happens. He is saying we've got to remove it from our midst. There's more than one way to remove sin from the midst. Don't forget that. We like to think, well, the most easy solution, the most convenient one is just to wipe it out. Maybe there's a better way. But he does call a spade a spade. He says, we've broken God's heart. We've broken God's law. And these, this situation is a problem. But he says, but there's hope. Did you see that in the passage? He says, there's hope in this. God's not done. Amen, right? Aren't you glad, <laughs> aren't you glad God's not done with us? And his solution is this. We need to make a renewed covenant. And what that would mean would be to put away the paganness within their midst. Again, there's more than way to, one way to skin a cat, right? There's more than one way to solve a problem, correct? There's one more than one way to fix the issue. Our assumption is, oh, he's got, they've got a divorce, they've got to kick the wives and the kids out and be overdone with it. Maybe not. Maybe not. What he says is this, we need to have those in leading in religious figures come in and help us determine and discern God's will here. And he says, let's make this happen. So look what happens. And we're going to break this down into three portions real quickly here. The first one is right here. They call for an assembly. Look at verses 6 through 8. Then Ezra withdrew from the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night, neither eating bread or drinking water, for he was mourning, we talked about that last week, over the faithfulness of the exiles. 
Verse 7, and a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the uh, returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem and that if anyone did not come in three days by order of the officials and the elders, all his property be forfeited and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. So stop right there. Here's what's going on. He has spent a night praying and fasting. If you want to find God's will, what do you got to do? You got to listen to God. How are you going to do that? By getting in front of him. And that's what he did. And he said, okay, here's what I believe we need to do. We need to have everyone come together. You're going, man, that would have been a big deal, wouldn't it? Remember, there weren't as many folks as there maybe are today in Israel, but there was still, they all live within a day, within two or three days walk of Jerusalem. So the word went out, we need you to come here. If there's a problem in your life, in your, in your community, we need to deal with it. Let's come together and let's talk about it. He says, come together or we're going to ex- ex- exclude you from the congregation. And they all get together and they return. Look what happens next, verse 9. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month. And you're probably thinking September, not in the Jewish calendar. This would have been what we call December. Cold time of the year. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. So imagine it's December, heavy rain, cold weather. Doesn't that sound like fun? Another commentator discussed this rain. It's not being cold and, 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 and desolate, but it's the coming of God's blessing. So that was an interesting interpreter. But anyway, they sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling before the matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra stood up and said to them, you have broken faith and married foreign women and so increased the guilt of Israel. So now, get this, confession Make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. All right. So here they are, December. Wasn't Christmas time yet, guys. Jesus hadn't come. Y'all with me? Okay. They didn't deal with Christmas. But here it was in the cold time of the year. You know, I don't know if you realize, Jerusalem gets snow sometimes in the winter. That's how cold it gets there. And they're gathered in this place, and they've come together, and he says, you need to do a couple of things. First, you need to confess your sin. Confession leads to repentance. Repentance leads to forgiveness. Ezra says, we've got to start there. Second, we've got to do some steps. We've got to take some concrete steps. You are going to have to either separate from the pagan wives. And you're probably you're thinking to yourself, but doesn't the Bible say we shouldn't divorce? Do you know that in the, in the Mosaic Law, there was actually provision for divorce in the Old Testament? Not because they thought it was a good idea, but because of the hardness of the hearts of people. There was a provision there for it. And he says, we, we've got to take care of it. I mean, some of you are going, but that still seems harsh. I want you to understand the heart of God on this matter is very clear. He says, sin breaks fellowship with me. Sin destroys your ability to be the people of God. Sin holds you back from the greater pathways that God has for our lives. That's how serious God takes sin. Most of us don't take it quite that serious, do we? But God does. And that's what he's saying here. He says, we've got to deal with this issue. But there's another pathway in this that we don't want to miss. Confession leads to what? Repentance. Repentance leads to confession. Confession leads to forgiveness. We have this process that we're dealing with here. I want you to see this. Because I think what Ezra is doing is really giving them a choice here. 
If you want to be part of God's people, you need to be confessed up. You need to be in tune with God. You need to be walking with the Lord. There's all kinds of application here we could deal with in a minute, but he says we've got to deal with it. And then they've got to go forward. Look at verse 12. Then all the assembly moved, answered in one voice. They said, it is so. We must do as you have said. But the people are many. It's a time of heavy rain. We can't stand in the open, nor is this a task for one day or two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly, stand for, you know, represent. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times with them, the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of God on this matter is turned away from us. They say, here's what we need to do. Let's come together one by one and deal with the situation. You're going, deal with the situation. When my mother said we're going to deal with the situation, it was never a good idea for me to show up. Y'all with me? Because it usually meant she pulled out the wooden paddle and went to town. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is coming together with trusted, respected leaders of the congregation of Israel and saying, let's talk this issue through. Let's reach out and open the door for repentance. And you're going, repentance of who? Not just the, the guy who had married the pagan wife. Oh, get the beauty here. But repentance for the pagan wife to become part of God's people. You're going, that can happen? It happened then, it happens now. God is not done repent, getting people to repent and follow him. He's working here in that minute to take it happen, to set it right and do forward. And then what we see finally is Ezra sinks con, uh, conversion. And I think ultimately that's the hope in this passage. Look at verse 16. Then the returned exiles did so. They did what they the process we just talked about. And Ezra the priest selected men, heads of fathers' houses, according to the fathers' houses, each of them designated by a name. And on the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter. And by the first day of the first month, so two months' time goes, and they had come to an end of all the men who had, foreign, who had married foreign women. So we, we have contrition modeled by Ezra and others. We have a covenant that they're looking for. There, there's a conversation about how we're going to move forward. And they, they seek conversion of the wives who have not accepted the covenant. And now we find them changing their lives. You know, it's easy to read this story from our perspective and think, oh, those mean men wanted to get rid of those women. That's not what's going on here. These men have made mistakes. These men have have committed sin. How do you deal with sin? Do you just cover it up and hope it goes away? No, you confess it. And God forgives us when we are faithful to confess our sin. So they come together and they deal with this. Their desire, these men, I'm convinced, they love their wives. They love their children. They probably don't like their children all the time, but they love their children, okay? They don't want them put away. They don't want them to go away. They want them to have a better life. They've made a mistake. He said, we have a better pathway available to us. Let's take it. For the most part, that's what happened. Now, if you read a little bit closer, what you notice is there's a few names of people who said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing it. We're not told explicitly in the text, but what I believe happened is they were excluded from the fellowship of the congregation. And you're going, that seems awfully harsh, Pastor. When we tolerate sin, we're asking for trouble. 
And so they make those steps forward. Now what happens here? Ezra disappears from the story. I told you all Ezra, Nehemiah is kind of like a trilogy. If you want to read the rest of the story, pick up Nehemiah. You'll be 16 years from this point, and you can read what happened next. But Ezra is involved in that story too. We're not going to deal with that right now. We're going to talk about three quick things, and then y'all are ready to go have lunch. Some of you are. All right. First, deep sorrow leads to repentance. We will never repent of sin as long as we're not sorry for our sin. We go, no, that's who I am. Deal with it. That's just what I chose to do. That's who I am. When we take that attitude, we're never going to see repentance happen in our life. When we're really sorrowful for our actions, and I believe the people in this passage were, genuine repentance will happen. And these people had come to the land of promise with so much hope, with so much anticipation of seeing God work. They've made a journey across a thief-infested desert back to where God wants his people. And when they got there, they discovered, oh, this is going to be hard. Y'all ever got to that place? This is going to be hard. I've hit that wall numerous times in my life when all of a sudden I go, I thought this was going to be easy. No, it's not. It's hard. Those people had walked away from an established culture, stable lives. Yeah, they were slaves to a extent, but they, they had some freedoms. They had a place that they had plenty of food. Plenty of, they had plenty of spouses to pick from, plenty of women that were Jewish they could pick from. Now they're in a place where there aren't as many. And they begin to compromise their beliefs. Their decision was contrary to the word of God in the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm sure they sit back and go, but, I, you know, God, you don't want me to be alone. You know, you want me to have a wife. You want me to have children. You want my line of progeny to continue. You want all this. But to sin to do it is not right. And they surely rationalized it, but it didn't change the wrongness. However, when they were confronted with their sin, they had a choice, just, just like we do. We can either bow up and say, well, that's just the way it's going to be. That's who I am. Or we can say, God, forgive me. My prayer is that the second is the choice we make, not the former. And we say, God, forgive me. Jesus said this, No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The truth has not and will not change just because we've arrived. God's truth is God's truth. Second, true repentance is often costly. You go, well, I'll repent, but it better not cost me anything. Then you're probably not going to repent. It costs. One, one stops to consider the cost associated with setting things right with God in response to the sorrow. We can get, kind of get blown away by it all. You're going to be, I got to do that, and I've got to do this, and I, I have to adjust, and I have to, uh, I don't want to do that. Am I the only one that deals with that stuff? See, God's word in Deuteronomy was crystal clear. People of God were never to marry unbelievers. Period. I had the privilege of doing a wedding yesterday afternoon for a young lady who made a profession of faith in our church this last year and was baptized. Her husband today, now husband, was a follower of Jesus already. They were dating, and she wasn't a Christian. 
They began coming to church and they heard the truth of God's word and they said, our church just loved us. Oh, blessed my soul when I heard that. But she had to walk through that process of coming into the Lord to not be unequally yoked with a, with a lost person, with her husband. They agreed on a pathway. We've got to eliminate the inequity. And one pathway would have been divorce. They didn't do that. They said, mostly they didn't do that. I think instead what they said, let's find repentance. Let's turn to the Lord. But get this, the pathway didn't have uh, no risk. You know, what, if, what if the pagan wife said, oh, I'm not going to become part of that stuff. I have my own gods. I think some did. If you look at the middle of that chapter, you'll see in there where there was a, a number of people who didn't stay with them. What if there was no willingness to follow God? See, a conversation like this carries potential risk, doesn't it? When you sit down with somebody and say, man, I love you, but we need to follow God. Wow. But it also carried the potential for sweet forgiveness and unity. Over the Proverbs, we read these words. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. They, like we, face a choice. Do we confess our wrongdoing or do we try to cover it up? You get to make the choice. You get to decide what you're going to do. It's not my place to tell you what to do. Well, it's my place to encourage you, but it's your place to decide what you'll do. But I promise you this, you cannot stay, stay in sin and see God work in your life. We've been talking all fall about repentance and renewal and revival. And my prayer is we have a revival meeting scheduled in April coming up. My prayer is that we are praying and looking for God to move in our midst in a way that we have never seen before. But tolerating sin will stop God from working. One more thought and I'll be done. Renewal flows where? From our commitment to God. That's where it ultimately starts. Do you know that what uh, Paul, over in his writings of Corinthians, he says this, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's talking about yeast. If you're a baker, you know if you don't put the yeast in, it doesn't work. If you're trying to make something that's baked, right? I've done that before. I make pizza for my kids sometimes. In fact, when our son came in town this week. He says, Daddy, you make a pizza? And I go, I wasn't planning on it. He says, well, put it on your agenda. I said, yes, sir. But if I make that dough and I don't put yeast in the batter in the mix, what happens? It doesn't rise. It doesn't change the texture of the ingredients. Go with me? God wants to be the leaven in our life. Often we think that as, oh, well, a little sin is going to mess us all up. And that is true. Don't miss that part of it. But I want you to also hear this. When you let God come into your life and let him be your leaven, he will begin to change your whole life from the inside out. Choosing to follow God had the potential for some very difficult outcomes, but it had the potential for some great outcomes as well. Let me remind you, what Ezra was doing at that time was establishing the, the culture that in 400 years would produce Messiah Jesus. So you go, you get off in history and you're boring. I get it. Not everybody likes it like I do. But I want you to understand, what we know as Judaism today was established right here. And God was using them to bring about what we needed so we could have Christmas. 
and could have forgiveness and new life. So how do you become part of his kingdom? It's simple. Repent and turn to the Lord. I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond this morning if God is so leading. Father God, we thank you for the day you've given us to come together and the opportunity. We thank you for your hand, as Ezra described several times, of how your hand was leading and working and moving. And we thank you, God, that you are doing that even in our lives today. Father, we pray for holiness to fall upon us as your people. God, we want to be able to stand or or maybe fall before you in front of your presence at the temple and praise you and ask your forgiveness and ask you to come into our hearts, come into our lives, renew us, transform us, change us. Because we want to be your people and we want you to be our God. In your name we pray, amen.